If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to stand with me and turn with me to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3, where our focus will be this morning on a couple of really important words that you want to see and know and understand. 2 Peter, chapter 3, beginning in verse number 8. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Let's pray together. Father, give us clarity from your word. We are a people who in humility seek to know you by knowing your word. And so, Father, thank you for these words that we've read. I pray that you would give us a holy attentiveness to them and that your Holy Spirit would use your holy word to speak to us about holy things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, as they were singing that song about the return of Jesus and our glorious bridegroom who is to come, uh, I was thinking about the fact that one of the privileges I have on occasion is to uh, uh, conduct weddings. Did you know I've yet to do the wedding that the bride woke up that morning and said, wait, what, there's a wedding today? Right, the, the, the bride in particular and the whole family together have been planning and planning and planning. Right, and so when the moment comes, and the, if it's at 2 o'clock or whatever the time the wedding is, then they have everything set up. Everything is prepared. Everything is thought through. Everything is planned. They've made the room that they want to have the wedding in, or if it's outside, wherever the location is. I mean, it is ready to go. And I just say that as a metaphor that's pretty obvious, and you've already kind of thought through in your mind. It's coming soon. And we would be really, really silly, foolish even, in preparing for the earthly wedding and then not ready for when the bridegroom arrives. He is coming very, very soon. I want to begin, you stay there in Second Peter chapter 3, but I want to begin with one of um, the most sobering passages of Scripture that I know in all the Bible. So you're going to hold your spot in Second Peter chapter 3. But I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And I want you to see something that Jesus states emphatically. And I want you to see it for yourself. This age is going to end. Last week we talked about that most everything in the world ends. The world itself is going to end that school year that you think is just kind of dragging on, it's about to end. The season of life that you're in, it's going to soon end. And again, just to, to stay and give you an exhortation, you want to invest your soon passing life in things that won't end. So there are some things that are not going to end. The supremacy of God is not going to end. The Word of God is not going to end. Your soul is not going to end. But Jesus speaks about that soon coming day in Matthew chapter 7. In verse number 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Sobering, isn't it? As Scripture teaches us this fact, that when that day arrives, many, that's the word Jesus uses, many, verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, on that day, many people who think they're going to heaven will realize that they're not. Did you see that in that passage? I need you to maybe shake your head up and down and say, yes, we just saw that. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say to them, depart from me. So that's why I said this is one of the most sobering passages of Scripture, right? We just open up the Bible. We heard Jesus say on that day, many will say to him, Lord, Lord. It's even the right word. They're saying the right word to the right person. It's not like he shows up and they say, well, who is this? They know who he is. But at the end of the day, quite literally, it's not they're going to heaven, it's that they're going to be cast out from him. I will say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And with that in the background, that's why we want to pay particular attention to 2 Peter chapter 3. And there's two words that I want to draw your attention to. And uh, then as we look at those words, I want to expand and maybe allow the Bible to clarify what is meant by one of these words in particular, and it's a burden because it's the most overlooked word and maybe the most misunderstood word in the church today. So verse 9 again, the Lord is not slow. It's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, Everybody say the word perish. But that all should reach repentance. And everybody say repentance. That's where I get the title repentance and the second coming of Christ. And just as clear as uh, words on the page, you see the contrast. There's just two options. When that day arrives, there's perish or there's repentance. Does everybody see? Those are the two options. There's not sort of a triangulation. And can we bring a middle ground somewhere between the two? It's perish or repent, or repent, or perish. And we need to be sober-minded about this because we can understand that the more valuable something is, the more copycats and counterfeits it produces. I don't think there's any master criminal in the world today that's brainstorming how to counterfeit a bunch of pennies. How can we just get the equation right? And can we just look at get the shine just right? Can I get a whole lot of pennies? No, no, they're not counterfeiting pennies. They're counterfeiting much larger bills, right? Or, for example, works of art. I read this article this week um, that apparently, and I didn't know this, uh, counterfeit art is kind of a thing in the world right now. This article I read says, nothing strikes fear into the heart of an art collector or museum like the possibility that a prized work of art might actually be a worthless forgery. 
And yet, despite the best efforts of experts to safeguard against such chicanery, fake works masquerading as priceless originals continue to litter the market. In recent weeks, the art world was rocked by perhaps the biggest forgery scandal to hit the art world since, somebody's name I can't pronounce, unmasking. The extent of the old mastery forgery ring is as of yet unknown, but Sotheby's, or Sotheby's, I don't really know, has, some of you know, has already issued a refund to the buyer of a 10 million Franz Howes, probably said that one wrong too, portrait sold in 2011 in a private sale, which, listen to this, Orion Analytical, a Williamstown, Massachusetts-based company which investigates artworks, found modern-day materials in the canvas proving it to be a forgery. In other words, hanging on the wall somewhere in a museum or someone's private collection, they said, oh, look at the old work of the old master. And then they got their magnifying glasses out, and they started to investigate the canvas and said, well, this can't be the real thing because... And I can't really improve upon the, uh, <laughs> the terminology, modern-day materials in the canvas prove it to be a forgery. Priceless works of art are counterfeited and have copycats. And there is nothing, listen to me, there is nothing that's more valuable than salvation in Christ. So let's connect the dots. You need to know that there are a whole lot of counterfeit salvations in the world and what we want to do is we can't hire orion analytical but what we can do is open up our bibles and allow the holy spirit to speak this is what salvation and conversion mean so that we can use the word of god to investigate the canvas of our lives because this is the whole this is peter's whole warning that we've been talking about false teaching what is false teaching some modern day materials have gotten mixed in and if you put your trust in the wrong thing. Jesus already gave the warning on that day, not a handful, not a couple, on that day, many will say to me, and he'll expose, you've been hanging your hope on a false salvation all along. And so can I just say, we want to look at what salvation in Christ really is and take the Bible at its word. There's two passages of Scripture that I want to use to do our own analysis this morning. Counterfeits and copies are made of the things that have great value. And the best measure to guard against the counterfeit, does anybody know the best measure to guard against the counterfeit? Is to be very familiar with the real thing. Amen? So we're going to look at two passages of Scripture. Uh, one's going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and the other is going to be in Acts chapter 26. We're going to launch off from 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter has said, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. He's patient towards you. Praise God Almighty for his patience, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So we're grabbing a hold of these two words, perish and repent. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is going to inform us more about the word perishing, and then Acts chapter 26 is going to inform us about the word repent. We good? We all understand the direction that we're going? So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 4. And when I said verse number 4, I, what I really meant was verse number 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 3. 
and you're going to see a familiar word. Paul's writing, he says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is only veiled to those who are, what's your word? Perishing. Oh, we got it on the screen. Awesome. See it? Perishing. Paul's saying if our gospel is veiled, in other words, if people hear it but don't see it, it's only veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world. It's a reference to Satan. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Let's keep reading. For what we, we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now that is a awesome proclamation of what happens when someone's born again. Has that happened in your life? That God did a work in your heart, that that's the description. The light turned on, right? My mind was veiled to his glory, and God turned the light on, and it's not veiled anymore. Has that happened in your life? Because here's a way that I would know how to say it, friends. If you are bored with Jesus, the light has not ever turned on. It hasn't. If you find things in the world more captivating, more, uh, more to be focused on and loved, then you've not seen him. You haven't. You've heard about him, and maybe you've heard enough about him to say, Lord, Lord, but you don't know him. You're perishing, is what the Bible says. God's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I want you to see from this scripture that the enemy only has one option, and that's to keep you from seeing. That's it. Because once you see him, who's with me? Once you see him, the things of the world are done. They're not to be loved and esteemed and worshipped and hoped in and built your life upon. That's the very next thing Jesus says over there in Matthew 7. So whoever hears these words of mine and builds his life on a rock is like a wise man, right? Have you seen him? Have you heard about him only or have you really seen him? Now, according to this scripture, who turns the light on? Paul's talking about new creation in creation terms, right? Back in Genesis 1, who turned the light on? God said, let there be light, a glorious light shined, right? And he's saying the same thing's happened in the new creation. Let light shine out of darkness. Let's turn over here to Acts chapter 26. I think we've got these on the screen as well. And you're going to see something pretty interesting. It's Paul, uh, in Acts chapter 26, is on trial, right? And he begins to give a testimony as he's on trial before the Romans, about uh, what has happened in his life. Jesus is speaking to Paul, or Paul's rather quoting Jesus in his testimony. And here's what Paul's life's been about. Jesus said to him, But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things which you have seen of me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles. Here's the message. Look at it. I'm sending you to open their eyes 
so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, if you're tracking with me, you might say, well, the mission that God gave Paul certainly sounds like the very opposite of Satan's mission in the world, right? Doesn't it sound like that? That Satan has a purpose to blind your minds from seeing the truth. Paul's mission is, he says, you got to open up their eyes. you got to proclaim that they'll turn from darkness to light. Friends, this right here is not going to be on the screen. Verse 19, Acts 26. Therefore, O King Agrippa, who he's speaking to, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of, of Judea and to the Gentiles, that they should... Who knows it? Repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. So, we're pretty straightforward this morning, right? First passage of the scripture taught us what it means to perish. It means to perish is you don't see Jesus as glorious and beautiful. You're not like the man who found a treasure hidden in a field and in his joy sold everything he had to obtain the field. That's what God says the kingdom of God is like. Now, can we just be real? I was going to say keep it real, but that's not even a thing anymore, is it? When God turns the light on, it's such a powerful work of God that it goes all the way down in your heart at the level of delights and preferences. In other words, longing to go to heaven is not just, I'd rather not go to hell. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not, well, okay, well, that made sense. I just want to not go to hell, so I'll walk down the aisle or I'll fill out whatever they tell me to fill out. Has the light ever gone on, friends? And that what you really desire is God. What you really desire is righteousness and, and holiness. If not, here's what happens. If God's never changed your desires, then church just becomes really, really boring. And deep down inside, you have these thoughts like, I don't really think I want to do those things that the Bible says anyway. If God's not changed your heart, right? So we're going to use this passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 26, to define for us what the Bible means, and by extension what God means when he says to repent, Right? Anybody know the first words out of John the Baptist's mouth when he began to preach? Repent. Anybody know the first words out of Jesus' mouth when he begins to preach? Repent. When the Holy Spirit fills up the Apostle Peter to preach at Pentecost, you know what his message is? Repent. When the Apostle Paul says, Jesus sent me out to proclaim, you know what his message is? It's repent. So if you've got your Bible right there in Acts chapter 26, friends, my effort today is this, that you're prepared for that day. I want you to be prepared for that day. It would be a terrible thing to have a pastor who uh, taught a bunch of things but never taught you how to be ready for that day that is to come. Because I stay up at night, honestly, I stay up at night worried about many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart from me, I never knew you. So let's use Acts chapter 26. As the Bible declares these things, I want to zoom in and give you five things that mark authentic repentance. Paul says them right here, verse 17, to whom I'm sending you, Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes so that they turn from darkness to light, 
from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, you understand the most effective counterfeits combine some of the truth with some of the lies, right? So the most effective counterfeit that there is are going to take some of these things, but not all of these things. Some of these things, but not all of these things. So we want to see all of these things. And it starts with this. The repentance that is required to make us ready for the second coming of Christ means we turn from darkness to light. We turn from darkness to light. Jesus, when he was having perhaps the most important conversation that's ever taken place on earth, is between him and Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their deeds were evil. The darkness is the blindness that 2 Corinthians chapter 4 describes. The Bible says the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing. Hey, you remember when the Apostle Paul journeyed to Damascus, when he was confronted by Jesus, what happened? Light happened, didn't it? And you think about this. Paul, when he was still Saul on his way to Damascus, was going to Damascus, completely convinced in his own mind that he was right about everything that he was doing. As a matter of fact, he believed he was serving God. Now, now friends, if you've never been confronted by God that you're headed in the wrong direction, then you've never repented. Because the Bible says we're all headed in the wrong direction. We love darkness rather than light, because our deeds are evil. That's what Jesus says. So the simplest definition of repentance is that you turn around. That's the verb that he uses, to turn them around. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. And friends, if you've ever been in a situation where maybe you're asleep and it's still dark outside and your mom or your dad came along and they, when you were, had to get up and get ready for school and they turned the light on, what's your response? Right? That ever happened to you in your life? Where God turned the light on, and here, consistently through the Bible, here's what happens when the light turns on. He is more holy than I ever thought possible, and I am not holy. Has that ever happened in your life? Ever happened? Where you see your sin in light of His holiness and His righteousness. Jesus said to Paul, I'm sending you out. In a holy irony, Jesus struck Paul physically blind, but opened his eyes spiritually, right? A great explanation for this is in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you're in Acts, if you're tracking with me, let's flip over here to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. We get a description about what it means to still be in the darkness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says, This I say and testify in the Lord. Why does he say that? He says that because of what Jesus told him in Acts 26. I got to show up to you to be an ambassador of Christ. I'm saying this and testifying the Lord. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every form of impurity. Friends, when you're in the darkness, everything And just about anything is preferable to Jesus. Netflix is better than Jesus. Marvel's better than Jesus. The ball game's better than Jesus. What's for lunch today is better than Jesus. Until you see him for who he is, right? 
Again, you've heard of him. Have you seen him? And who Christ really is. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God due to the hardness of their heart. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every form of impurity. It's a terrible description of what happens when we're in darkness is we're trying to get more and more and we never get enough. That's what Paul just said is true when you're in darkness. In other words, there's no satisfaction at all. There's no contentment at all. They're greedy to practice every form of impurity. And friends, that's a pretty accurate description of our culture that just moves from one thing to the other. We didn't find satisfaction here. We didn't find satisfaction here. We didn't find satisfaction here. I find it pretty interesting that two of the most famous rock and roll bands that there are have these songs, we still haven't found what we're looking for, and I can't get no satisfaction. Those two songs happened to come on the radio when I was driving home yesterday, and I thought that's pretty interesting. Giving themselves up to sensuality, but we can't find any satisfaction. Now, friends, if you have ever been in a place in your life where you have a holy discontent, you know that Jesus is knocking on your door. When you begin to recognize what I'm living for isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Have you ever turned from darkness to light? In the darkness, people are searching for something they never find. Hey, if you're still in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm not, but I'm going to turn back there. Look what the solution is, verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. See, that's the level that we're talking about. Have you ever put off and turned from your deceitful desires? And seen that my satisfaction is actually to be found in Christ. Have you heard about him? Here's the verbs he uses. Have you heard where you taught? Do you know it's true? Secondly, Paul says that we turn from Satan to God. We turn from darkness to light, continuing verse 18, and from the power of Satan to God. And friends, this tells us that everyone serves a spiritual master who's more powerful than they are. And frequently, the people who are most controlled by Satan are the ones who say, that's nonsense, and there's no such thing. You've got a master. He's either a liar or he's the truth. He's either the destroyer or he's the restorer. One of the most powerful lies Satan deceives people with is that you can be your own master. Jesus answered him, John 8, 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. This is really easy. If you think you master sin and sin doesn't master you, it's real easy. Just stop doing it. Just stop doing it. I mean, pro prove that you master sin and sin doesn't master you. Just quit doing it, right? So we know that we can't because we're under the dominion of Satan. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 is a very helpful passage of Scripture. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says this. Listen to it. Do not love the world or the things in the world. All, everybody say the word all. All that is in the world. And then he specifies what's in the world the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is passing away but whoever does the will of god abides forever so 
can I help us for a moment to understand what the power of Satan is? Second Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this world, right? Do not love the world for all that's in the world is passing away. And then he says three things are in the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And here's how it works for most of us is one of those things prior to you coming to faith in Christ had you completely wrapped up. Start with the lust of the flesh. The Bible says the desires of the flesh are the lust of the flesh. That talks about any, any temptation to do with your physical body. So sexual temptation, food temptations. We're talking about things like sexual immorality and pornography. These are the desires of the, of the flesh. Now again, if you want to demonstrate that you master that, just stop doing those things. But guess what? We don't. Whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. Desires of the flesh are the desires of your body. The second category that 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 specifies, the desires of the eyes. It means Amazon or Apple or eBay is your God. Material possessions is your God. Having more stuff is your God. Your whole life is about, well, the new thing is out, and the new toy is out, and the next and the next, and you have given yourself up to sensuality, greedy to practice. Now, if I just get this, then I'll really be happy. And that works until what? The next thing comes out, and then the next thing comes out, and then the next thing comes out, and it is endless. Because here's the deal with the world. It gives you desire or makes promises that it will never fulfill. Same is true with the desires of the flesh, right? Anybody just so content after sexual sin? No. And that's your conscience somewhere way down deep saying, you were made for more than this. And then we have the pride of life. If pride of life is your God, friends, that means Facebook likes is your God. Instagram followers are your God. Self-advancement and self-promotion is your life. And most everybody's wrapped up in one of these three things. You want some good news? Jesus overcame every one of them. All that's in the world, desires of the flesh, Satan came along. How many, by the way, how many temptations did Satan give Jesus in the wilderness? Three. Do you know why he gave you three? It's his full, ar full arsenal. There's a temptation that was a desire of the flesh. Take these stones and make them bread. There was a temptation that was a desire of the eyes. In a moment, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, this can be yours. And then there's a, a temptation that was a pride of life. Put yourself on the pinnacle of the temple and throw yourself down and everybody will be amazed at how wonderful you are. And you go back and look it up and it says when Satan had finished every temptation, he departed to find a more opportune time. Is all, that's all he got. That's the arsenal. And here's what the Bible says for you. Do not love those things. Do not love those things. All the, why not? All passing away. You're living for something that doesn't last. Back home to our major principle. You've got to invest your soon-passing life in things that don't pass away. Have you come out of the kingdom of darkness into light? Have you come from the power of Satan to God? We're tracking. We see our hope is in Jesus, who is the light, and Jesus, who's overcome all of Satan's temptations. Third, Third, we receive forgiveness of sins. Let's try that one more time. We receive forgiveness of sins. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Praise God. You're more excited about being forgiven of your sins the more you understand how sinful we really are. Can we just celebrate for a moment how wonderful it is that our sins can be forgiven? And we live the spirit of our ages that your sins are not something that, that need to be forgiven. Your sins are the very things that you need to live for. In fact, they're not even sinful. That's the culture we live in. Find your freedom in what enslaves you. Has the light gone on? You turn from Satan to God and have you received the forgiveness of sins? Look carefully, look carefully at the message that Jesus gave Paul to receive, that they may receive. You turn and you don't achieve forgiveness of sins, you receive forgiveness of sins. If you know the difference between achieving and receiving, say amen. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, this is a help for us, this is a help for us. On that day, many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do many mighty works in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we, did we, did we? Here's a help. What's the biggest issue that they have in Matthew 7? When Jesus comes back, the content of their hope is what? What they've done. Jesus, did we not teach Sunday school for so many years? Did we not faithfully serve as a deacon for so many years? Did I not stand at Calvary Baptist Church and preach the word? Is that what justifies me? friends you need to know if it's something in your heart when you see him on that day in any word other than glory to god hallelujah come out of your mouth there he is king of kings lord of lords forgiver of my sins because he went to the cross for me your salvation is not on the basis of what you do it's on the basis of what christ has done for you it's by grace we are saved through faith it's the gift of god not a result of works so that no one may boast. And in Matthew 7, as they get to boasting, as soon as Jesus shows up, look at what we have done. And it's an indication, what does Jesus say? I never knew you. And this is important because perhaps in our geographical location, nothing is as a great a counterfeit gospel as being in the church and earning salvation because you're a moral and good and faithful church member. Jesus is not going to ask, are you a church member on that day? It's a matter of, have you ever surrendered and repented and believed in Jesus Christ? We can put it this way. Uh, every church member ought to be a believer in Jesus. Or every believer in Jesus ought to be a church member. But that doesn't mean every church member is a believer in Jesus. Don't base your hope and faith on a card that you filled out. Have you bowed your knee and submitted to the authority of Christ because you love him? The light has turned on and it's ever happened in your life that you say, this is better. He's better. When Julie and I were first married, I was uh, much better at um, a few things. And one, we were just always celebrating. And when you get four children a little bit further down the road, it's a little bit more difficult just to, for example, now six month anniversary of our wedding, I took her on an overnight trip. At the time we lived in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, so I made arrangements and we go to a, a um, bed and breakfast and, and, uh, and, and get there. And that night, I made reservations at the end to have this nice dinner. And so we sit down, and oh, we're, I'm more in love with her now than I was then. But six months, can you believe it's been six months, and it's been such a wonderful six months, and so on and so forth. And, and uh, so we're going to order dinner. And uh, Julie is always so practical. She opens the menu and says, what's the most practical thing? Grilled chicken. Very practical. 
I open the menu and I say, we're celebrating. I don't go practical. I always ask the person who's, who's helping, what's the best thing on the menu? So, man, you got to get the ribeye. So I'm going to get the ribeye. So I ordered the ribeye. She ordered the grilled chicken. Our plates come, and the ribeye is placed in front of me, and the grilled chicken is placed in front of her. Now, here's two things happen simultaneously. I say, in my own heart, I don't say this out loud, I'm really glad I didn't order the grilled chicken. <laughs> simultaneously, Julie's sitting there, grilled chicken. She looks at my ribeye, and she doesn't say this out loud, but I can tell. She thinks, I wish I had gotten the ribeye, right? I would prefer the ribeye. The ribeye is better than what I have ordered here. And then I'm six months in. I said, you want some of my ribeye? You know, that's, I think I would still do that. Um, we'll talk about that after the, after the service. But here's what I'm getting at, y'all. Here's how you know if the light has gone off. When the world offers up its menu, and Jesus offers up his menu, can I just ask you a real, this is a simple question. Which do you prefer? Taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Better. Better is one day in the courts of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. You can open up the Psalms, and in many of them, you can tell which one they think is better. Author of 2 Peter, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Whoever would come after me must deny himself, take up his own cross, and follow me. This is what Jesus says. And my fear is, my fear is, we've got a whole lot of people sitting with the grilled chicken and say, this is what I love. And yet, this is so strange. This is so strange. They really love the world more. They just don't want to say it out loud. They just don't want to say it. Can I give you a, uh, an unsurprising fact? God knows. He knows. He knows. Have you ever seen him? Have you ever beheld him? It's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. The, the God of this world is leveraging all of his resources so that you don't see him. We would be foolish to think that he only uses the quote, un immoral resources, right? There are a lot of people who are blinded by false religion. There are a lot of people who are blinded by moralism. There are a lot of people who are blinded by not things that we call outrageous sin, but it's its own darkness. You know that the group that had the most animosity against Jesus in his own ministry was the religious folks, the moral people. The sinners and the tax collectors flocked to him. It was the religious who so strongly opposed him. He received the forgiveness of sins. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The blood of Jesus removes all the guilt of our sin, all the debt that we owed, all the accountability we have to God for what we have done. Because of Jesus, we are justified in God's sight. 
and God justifies us without compromising any of his own holiness, any of his own character. Now we're going to come to number four, and when we come to number four, this one, they're all really, really important, but this one is going to touch on where a major counterfeit in our culture exists. So when we examine the canvas, we want to see if any modern material, any modern false teaching has crept in. Because Paul's not done yet. He says that we may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified. It's number four. We are being sanctified. I'll just say it as uh, clearly as I know how. Whole lot of people, y'all, whole lot of people want to sign up for number three up there, and that's it. Can we just come to the menu and just choose number three, and I'm good? Can I just receive the forgiveness of my sin and go to heaven, and then go on about the life, loving the world, living for the desires of the flesh, living for the desires of the eyes, living for the pride of possessions, living, 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 preferring grilled chicken. Uh, you heard something about the steak, but they never smelled it or saw it for themselves. And so they still love the world, but are holding on to their sins have been forgiven. Here's how you know if your sins have been forgiven. Best indicator from Scripture is you are being sanctified. What does that mean? Your preferences are changing. What you want is changing. Now, this is helpful. The Bible teaches us when we repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we immediately receive the forgiveness of our sins. How do we know that? Romans chapter 5, verse 1, for example, right? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Have it right now. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are forgiven immediately from the penalty of sin, but the same grace works to free us from the power of sin. That makes sense? Say amen. We are saved from the penalty of sin immediately, and then we begin the progress, the process of sanctification that increasingly saves us from the power of sin. Think about it this way. Suppose someone has a terrible terminal disease, and the disease has harmed them greatly, and if something is not done, they will die. So they go to the hospital, and there is a medicine that can help them. The port is hooked up, and the medicine begins to enter the body. The doctor immediately says, we have saved their life. There's life and not death. And then you might say, you look at the patient and say, well, they don't look better yet. And the doctor says, as the medicine continues to do its work, the body will become healthier and healthier. That's the grace of God. It immediately, when you believe in Jesus and you repent, there's an immediate result. You don't die. But there is something gradual. There's a gradual result. You become healthier and healthier and spiritually stronger and stronger when we come to faith in jesus we don't become sinless but over the course of time as god's at work in our life we sin less and you know why we sin less because our desires are being changed by him do you know the only way to overcome sin is is to not want to do you know that Discipline is helpful, and you ought to be disciplined. You remember Joseph when he was tempted? We, Potiphar's wife, day after day after day. How could I commit this sin against my God? Potiphar's wife, you've got nothing to offer me that I don't have a greater joy in Jesus, greater joy in the Lord for. 
there's a strongly proclaimed false gospel that only emphasizes the immediate justification but ignores the ongoing truth of sanctification. That's the notion that there's a day, maybe even decades ago, I walked down the aisle and got my forgiveness and then I went on about my life. I went on living for the desires of the flesh or the desires of the eyes or the pride of life. In other words, I can get the forgiveness, but I still can go on in darkness and I can still have Satan as my master and I'm not being sanctified. And that brings us number five. We can say with great assurance that this hasn't happened. Number five, all this is by faith. All this is by faith. I want you to listen to this. It's a pretty familiar passage of the scripture, but I want you to listen carefully. I don't think, it's not going to be on the screen, and I'm not going to ask you to turn there. I just want you to listen. Here's what Paul says, Philippians chapter 3, verses 8, 9, and 10. Listen to how he describes salvation. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. June the 16th, 2001, six months before our steak and grilled chicken dinner, Julie and I got married. Do you know why I married her? Because in my eyes, her surpassing worth. I'd rather be with her than anyone else. You understand how dishonoring it would be to a person to say, I got married for the money. Married because I like their house. I got married because they could pay off my student loans. I got married because uh, it would make me seem more impressive in the other people's eyes. We, you, you say, oh, that's, you bristle against that, don't you? You say, that's so offensive. And, and your heart would immediately go out to the person who was married for a reason other than love. You hear what Paul's saying? How does he become a, what does he follow Jesus? Because God turned the light on, and Paul said, who are you, Lord? And then he's going to spend eternity learning the answer to that question. Can you see the absurdity of someone saying, I belong to Jesus, but I don't really want to know him. My preferences aren't really his preferences. No, this is the tragedy. A lot of people think they're going to heaven, but what they really want is his stuff. They want heaven. They want some benefits. Oh, he'll forgive me of my sin. And on that day, y'all, many, many will say, Lord, Lord. And I'll say to them, depart from me. All of this, turn from darkness to light, from Satan to God, forgiveness of sin, being sick. All this happens by faith. That's what Paul says. And a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
And we need to clarify that these days. We're not saved by faith. We're saved by faith in Jesus. Faith means that you don't put a question mark where God has put an exclamation point. You believe what he says is true. You believe that Jesus Christ is the light. You believe that you've followed the wrong master. You believe that you are a sinner and that your sins need to be and can be forgiven in Christ. You believe he can and is transforming your life. Faith is possessing what grace has provided. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It's by grace you're saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Repentance is turning from darkness to light. Repentance is turning from Satan to God. Repentance is receiving the forgiveness of sins. Repentance begins the process of sanctification. And all this is done by faith. Repentance is our response when we really see Jesus for who he is because God turned the light on. And Jesus said to Paul, the light gets turned on when the word of God is proclaimed. Now, Paul was an apostle. He proclaimed the word of God and wrote the word of God. I am not an apostle, but the light goes on by the proclamation of the word of God. When he returns, Jesus returns, everyone's going to see his glory. The only hope that you have on that day isn't that, is, is that you haven't seen his glory for the first time on that day. Have your eyes ever been opened? I'm not asking if you've attended church for years. I'm not asking if you like to sing songs about Jesus. I'm not asking if you've volunteered or been active in doing things in the church. I'm asking, have you ever really seen him? Have you ever really seen him? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. He's demonstrating patience so that some of the many who will say to me on that day, he's being patient so that perhaps some people who are set up for that can say, oh, now I've seen him. Now I've really seen him. We've seen his goodness and his kindness and his patience and his holiness and his righteousness. Have you seen your need of him? This message is only foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's nothing more precious than salvation in Christ, and the more valuable something is, the more often and more carefully it is counterfeited. We've proclaimed the word of God and then we call for a response. And here's the response. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to proclaim the truth to your life. And this morning, as we've sat and talked, or as you've sat and I've talked about these things, have you received any holy promptings? Some holy nudges? See, in the Word of God, we've had a simple plan. Using Peter, it says the Lord's not slow to count his promises some count slow he's patient towards you not wishing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance the aim this morning is that every person that's in this room could hear the only way the bible says you don't perish is that you've repented and then from that point we've looked at what the bible says repentance means and we put it on the screen and you've seen it have you ever repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation. I want to say two things about the invitation. Some of you, perhaps this morning, have received a prompting that is so holy and urgent that you would respond immediately. I'm going to plant my feet down here at the front. 
And you may come and say, I've heard about him, but this morning I've seen him. Others of you are sitting here, and you would say, I want to process some things. I want you to know that it would be my joy to sit down with anyone at any time in just about any place to open Bible and to talk clearly about these things. And I'm saying that this way because I've got Matthew 7 ringing in my ear. On that day, many will say, Lord, 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 Lord. And I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Do you know Jesus? Do you prefer Jesus? Do you long for Jesus? His second coming is him coming back. Do you want to be with him? Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 and 10, when Paul speaks there, he's not giving um, a description of the super Christian, the elevated Christian. The, well, yeah, that's true of Paul. I mean, that's Paul. He's giving the description of a Christian. Have you ever seen Christ as surpassing worth? He encountered all things lost so that you can have him. Listen, last scripture I'll quote. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is like a man who found a treasure hidden in a field. And in his joy, he sold everything he had to buy the field to have the treasure. Stand together and we'll pray together. Some of you may be ready to respond in joy, eagerness. Some of you might think about it, but I'd caution those of you who want to maybe think a little bit more. The Lord is patient, but His coming is soon. So, Father, thank you for your word, that your word is clear. That repentance means that we turn, we change directions. We've all loved the darkness more than light because our deeds are evil. We've all lived for the desires of the flesh or the desires of the eyes or the pride of life. But Jesus is the light of the world. He's come to call us to repentance and faith in Him. So I pray today that we understand Repentance is a turning from darkness to light, from Satan to God, that we might receive forgiveness of sin, that you begin the work of sanctification in us, and all of it's done by faith. We don't earn it. We don't uh, merit it. It's by grace we are saved through faith, that faith possesses what grace provides in Christ Jesus. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name against any spirit of fear or embarrassment or what will somebody think. Walking down an aisle doesn't save anybody responding to the word of God does. So may you create an atmosphere here of holiness and reverence that we long for Jesus because we've seen him. Use your word to open up our eyes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.